FBI Radio. It's time for Down to Earth. It means that Kurt Iverson is in the studio and we're about to have our fortnightly conversation about the urban environment, about how we can make our cities fairer and more sustainable. And if you've been regularly tuning into the segment, you'll notice that a few weeks ago we talked about heat stress as a health and justice issue in cities like Sydney where you get these massive heat events. Um, kind of like yesterday we yesterday had a bit of a heat wave, didn't we, Kurt? Brutal. Horrible. <laughs> and... These are going to happen more and more frequently thanks to climate change. So this week, Kurt, you've brought in some special guests to talk about, I guess, the intersection between climate change and, and heat wave research and how it kind of be, be branched out into the arts as a way to present to people these kinds of topics. I know. It brings in a whole bunch of things, as you say, that we've talked about heat, but we've also talked about different ways of talking about these environmental questions. We've talked about climate fiction and academic research and other things. And today we've kind of got two people who've collaborated on a theatrical communication around some of these issues. So we've got Michelle St. Anne from um, the Living Room Theatre, who's a director there, and then... And I've got to say, we're welcoming back, because Michelle's dropped in on our theatre segment Stage Fright before for another play that she she had. All right, so she's a pro. Mm -hmm. She knows what she's doing here. (laughs) And sorry for for butting in, our other special guest is... That's right. So we've got Ollie Jay in here as well, who's a health researcher at Sydney Uni, and he's doing work about, I guess... uh, these heat issues that we talked about a few weeks ago and particularly um, some much-needed research on the effectiveness of different cooling technologies and mechanisms that we have for actually, you know, riding these um, heat periods out in our cities and particularly in those parts of the city where it does really get hot. So right, yeah. thanks for coming in, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So, Michelle, I reckon we might <coughs> start with um, asking you a few questions. Mm-hmm. But So there's a play that you guys have... Uh, sort of collaborated on it's about to start about a heat wave called Lola that's you it wanna, do you want to tell us all about it what's okay well I should start by saying she's not actually a play because people expect Ooh. that she's going to have a beginning and a middle and an end yep, yep. and this is the thing she just keeps on going Ooh. like heat waves um, so her name is Lola I've named the heat wave because you know okay, um, actually heat waves aren't named mm-hmm. right so they're the only um what is that climate event that actually doesn't get named, like tornadoes or cyclones? So, so you're I've giving na- her a gender and a personality. I gave her a gender, it. yes, because all my works are female. So I made her female. Not that all women are destructive. Right. Um, so I called her Lola, and that's really after the Barry Manilow song um, from Copacabana, the woman in there that wreaks havoc amongst the two men, the left and the right hand, right sides of politics fighting. So they're mm. all my metaphors that are floating around. Yeah. And the work is actually in situ at the vet school at the University of Sydney. So uh-huh. we actually moved from one room to corridors to dissection labs and back to the roundhouse. So that's where I've always been in at the uni. Yeah. I kind of love these kind of archaic spaces and evocative smells. And this unconventionality in terms of moving the audience through different spaces. Yeah, it's not static in the, in the way that people experience it. That's exactly right. And that's what I want them to do is actually feel spaces, yeah. feel heat, feel cool rooms as opposed to the hot rooms and then how does that let people understand what's happening in the world and the changing world yeah 
And listen, without giving away too much, mm. what's you know, <coughs> what can you tell us about uh, what people are going to experience as they move through these different spaces? Okay, so the story's really around, and I say story vaguely, is around the aged. So yeah. it's actually um, is inspired by my mother's neighbour. My mother lives in a public housing block in the inner west, mm-hmm. and the woman upstairs passed away in the heatwave of last year, 2017. Oh. But she was not found for, depending on the coroner's court, four to eight weeks. Um, and that was really confronting for me, and it's actually really disturbing that she was there and I was visiting my mother and I didn't even know mm. until we smelled her. Mm. Um, so that kind of really sat with me for quite a while. I was trying to reconcile that with my own guilt. Um, at the same time, six months before that, my father-in-law had passed away and I was with him, so I actually heard his last exhalation, which was something else I was trying to reconcile. How do I put all these things together and what does that mean for me as I watch my mother age, who's 84? Mm. So the, the work is kind of really personal in that way about our changing world, both in a personal point of view as well as in a climatic point of view, yeah. an environmental point of view. My day job is um, yeah. as a deputy director of Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney. So I'm around extraordinary research. And sometimes it just always sits in-house. We're all speaking to the same people. And so with my artwork, I think I can just open that up a bit and allow for more of a conversation around research. Yeah, yeah. And especially, as you say, because I guess there's that sense in which like academics like myself can sort of try out those statistics about the certain you know vulnerable populations to heat whether it be the aged or the young or whatever but as you say it's sort of without having some stories attached to what that actually means in the world exactly and personal experience i think can really communicate broadly i mean i, love and I guess stats. is that something as well that is sort of shied away from with academic research you want it to be impersonal and and sort of a black and white which yeah. and and is the conventional way of presenting it is to it's sort data. of data yeah, 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 yeah. Because everything else becomes anecdotal, which is like yeah. a secondary form. You know, people just go, "Oh, well, that's anecdotal. Mm. That's anecdotal." But actually, um, anecdotes can actually enrich the stats. So rather than being one or the other, I rely on say the research of Ollie J to actually to kind of help me communicate communicate my personal story. Yeah. And so, how did you guys start working together? How did you meet Ollie? Oh, Ollie, Ollie J. <laughs> he tortured me. True. <laughs> uh, Uh-oh. Well, actually, he's a colleague of my boss, um, and he introduced me to Ollie. He said, oh, if you're looking at heat waves and, um, you know, what the experience of it, you need to speak to Ollie. And so I did meet Ollie, and, well, we, you know, kind of fell in love academically. We're talking about heat wave, uh, heat waves, and heat stress. We're in the middle of our fortnightly conversation around sustainability. It's called Down to Earth with Professor Kurt Iverson, and today we're talking about a really wonderful way to present academic research, which is via the theatre. And we've kind of spent the first half um, with. Michelle Sanan from Living Room Theatre talking about the play Lola Stayed Too Long, which is presenting some research about heat stress and climate change. So now we're sort of going to throw to our other guests in the studio, Ollie Jay, who's a health researcher at Sydney Uni, um, looking at the effectiveness of different cooling methods in heat waves. Yeah. So, Ollie, tell us a bit about that research, man. So what are you working on? Okay, so... um the way that we primarily primarily do it is that uh, in my lab we have a we have a chamber, 
So it's a climate chamber. Inside that climate chamber at the University of Sydney, we can simulate different types of heat waves. Mm. So we can simulate the environment that we had yesterday, and um, we can do it differently depending on the location as well. So if we get the meteorological data, yeah. we can then recreate those conditions inside. And then what we then do is then systematically test how well different uh, strategies that people can use to keep themselves cool. Can I just say... Yeah. I just had to find a bar with air conditioning yesterday. That was mm. my strategy. Oh, so that's the that's the. N- I'll shut my mouth. Again. Yeah, well, that's that's the number one. That's the number one um, uh, way in which you kind of try to um, lessen the impact of heat waves. <clears throat> but unfortunately, the most the most vulnerable don't necessarily have access to an air conditioned space. They might not be mobile enough to to do so. Um, they may be in a situation where they can't afford an air conditioning unit, yeah. or they have an air conditioning unit, but we know that. Oftentimes, people won't turn it on because they're worried about how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And plus, there's the enormous um, uh, energy um, strain that's put on the grid, which then can can um, uh, jeopardise the, the delivery of energy to, to to other vulnerable populations as well. Yeah. So we're trying to look find uh, different ways in which people can keep themselves cool without having to use air conditioning, which is uh, low cost, low energy, and um, uh, and you can use it in a low resource environment. Yeah. Which also seems to take account of just that vicious cycle that we end up in here. Right, which is that's that exactly it's all right. that energy consumption that's contributing to the exactly kind of paradoxically, yeah, yeah. It, it worsens future climate-related yeah. events or heat waves. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I, I mean, just to get onto what people can do, um, right. I want to sort of connect it back up to the to play in a second, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than air conditioning, if you're stuck in a room, what are your other options? You know what I mean? Like, well, we're slowly working through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're fortunate enough to receive funding from several uh, sources. So uh, um, New South Wales Office of Environmental Heritage, uh, the Human Health Social Impacts Node, mm-hmm. supporting some of this work, and National Health and Medical Research Council as well. So we're really at the front end of, of this work, and we don't have all the answers. But so far, what I can tell you is that the, the first question that we try to answer is whether people should use fans or not. Mm-hmm. And that sounds kind of obvious, right? But yeah. um, the main problem is that um, some of the major or the major uh, health organization in the world, the WHO, they tell us that as soon as air temperature gets above 35 degrees Celsius, which is a very common event in yep. Australia, yep. we should turn our electric fans off. That's because they say it accelerates body heating and exacerbates dehydration, which is a problem for a lot of people. Is that because it's just projecting that warm air back onto our skin? Well, that's, that was the idea. So what we did is that we dug a little deeper and we realised that actually this guidance wasn't based on any evidence whatsoever. So about four years ago, we oh, yeah. said, OK, well, we can actually we have the, 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 the tools to actually test this question in the lab. So what we did is that we, we test how well uh, fan use uh, keeps people cool or reduces their cardiovascular strain. So how much work their heart has to do, which is one of the um, heart attacks or, 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 or um, uh, cardiac arrest is one of the one of the major uh, mm. reasons for people d- getting hospitalized and, and, and dying in uh, in heat waves. So we look at how much work the heart has to do as well Mm -hmm. and then we looked at how well the fan basically uh, reduces uh, how hot you get and how much uh, how much your heart uh, has to work and we compared that at 36 degrees celsius which is just above the cutoff from the who Mm. and then at 42 degrees celsius and what we found is that you're better off with a fan at 42 degrees celsius than you are without a fan at 36 degrees celsius and both of those temperatures are above the limits that the WHO oh, yeah. say. All right. Yeah. So, so those ceiling fans. That we, yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. We need a special gong for it. Yeah. Yeah. But but it gets a little bit yeah. more complicated than that. So the only yeah. show is that so that first study was done on young people, and young people can sweat quite freely. And as you become older, uh, we have age-related reductions in our ability to sweat. Mm. 
So much like you know, muscles might start to shrink and things like that, our ability yeah. of our sweat glands to produce sweat gets lower and lower. So the main way in which a fan works is that it helps the sweat that's on your skin surface evaporate. Otherwise, it wouldn't just sit on the skin surface. Yeah. It's important to realize that it's the evaporation of your sweat that keeps you cool. It's not the production of the sweat. Oh. So, um, but at the same time, you're throwing hot air on the person as well. So as you become progressively older, that fan won't do as good a job because you don't sweat as much. Yeah. So the next step now is saying, okay, well, you don't have to produce the sweat physiologically. Which you could dampen your exactly skin. Exactly right. You can dampen your skin, <laughs> yeah, with, with, with a wet cloth or with a towel or something like that. Yeah. So that's the next thing that we're testing. And, uh, and that type of idea has now been integrated uh, somewhat into, into Michelle's uh, so, uh, piece. Yeah. Awesome. Special shout out to my daughter too, whose idea of a big joke for the last month has been walking around her house in the dead of night with a little water spray thing Man, going... Genius. Freaking us yeah. out. But, yep. <laughs> Gives you a bit of a shock when you're, you know, dead of night. But anyway, sleep. true. It works. But, so, listen, the other thing I think that really, you know, the play draws out, and Michelle, you know, talking about your mum and her neighbour and that experience really draws out is just, as well as the kind of, you know, the technical dimension of this, as it were, that there's a kind of social dimension to people's vulnerability in in Absolutely. these heat events, right? Mm. And so, I, yeah, could you talk a little bit more about whether that's coming up in your work and, again, how that connects across to the... To the to the work that Michelle's doing. Yeah, well. definitely. Well, I mean, to start off with, uh, um, uh, the reason that we're testing alternatives to air conditioning, not from just an environmental perspective, but it's also from the fact that the most vulnerable don't have access to mm. to, to that type of uh, solution. So that's that's kind of one of the ways in which we've we've designed it. We're also looking at, at particular subgroups of people. So we know from from the scientific literature that um, if you have certain disorders, you're more prone to or like medical disorders, you're more prone to uh, suffering in a heat wave, either through hospitalization or ultimately death. So yeah. if, you have a, if you've got cardiovascular disease, that's a problem. If you've got a kidney disease, that's also a problem. But there's also social aspects to it as well. So um, uh, uh, people who uh, are, are isolated, so if they live, yeah. in the, live on their own, yeah. they're uh, between six and seven times more likely to die in a heat wave. If you live on the top floor of an apartment block without air conditioning, you're several times more likely to die in a heat wave. All this kind of thing. So, um, yeah. and this is why we're trying to kind of develop some of these um, these solutions to be applicable to these kind of types of environments. And I think that you know, based on the the, the background of what Michelle described for for, for her for her piece, is that it's um, I think that kind of fits in quite nicely in terms of um, trying to find solutions that really work for people um, who are in the most uh, most perilous position. Like. Yeah. And so exactly, just to sort of, you know, connect the dots as it were, but mm. how is some of that, Michelle, then sort of fed into mm. what you're doing? So I guess when we t when I'm looking at the whole idea about social cohesion and those who are isolated, um, and particularly with mum's neighbour who was a recluse, she used to go to the library every day. So there's a pattern of behaviour. And why, as we as a society, are not looking at those patterns of behaviour? Mm. And I remember, like, I've been a waitress for 20 years, and that was... What I really enjoyed was seeing the same people and saying the same movements, who's sitting at what table, and they, was it that those sorts of patterns, why do we not see them anymore? Is it because we're just on the device all the time? We're not actually looking at our world? So that's the kind of thing is what I'm trying to do in the work is setting up patterns so throughout the each space as you're seeing recurring types of patterns, but also looking at the age. So there is a moment where you just sit and you just watch my mother heating her food in a microwave sitting alone and it's just long and it's quiet and I'm asking people just look at her mm. look at the people on our streets look at the people having coffee on their own 
because sometimes mm. you can't get the people who are recluse, you can't get them to the table, but it doesn't mean that we don't, we, we should fail to see them. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with the work. That's so beautiful. So the work is called Lola Stayed Too Long and you can uh, get connected to tickets for it by heading to livingroomtheatre.org. It's on at the J.D. Stewart Building, Regimental Drive, University of Sydney and it's starting on Thursday the 1st of March. That's right. And how many days is it running for? Um, Five, so it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then we've got a break so the Mm. students can come and use their building and then we (laughs) open again on the 9th and the 10th. Excellent. So once again, livingroomtheatre.org has got all of uh, the the info for Lola Stayed Too Long. It's been really great having Michelle Sanan from Living Room Theatre back in the studio joining us today alongside Ollie Jay, who's a health researcher at Sydney Uni, and Professor Kurt Iverson weaving it all together. Oh, just weaving. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in, guys. For Thank, you. Pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you can listen back to this as soon as it's up and other episodes of Down to Earth. They're podcasted and you'll find them at fbiradio.com forward slash down to earth. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.